Bill, thanks for the, the, the segue. So um, Adam and I were chatting this morning. We're like, hey, what should we talk about on the space today? And like, I don't know, kind of what's in the news? And headed over to Hacker News. And I'm like, that's strange. Like, why is there a Seagate just like skew in as a Hacker News story? And Adam, did you know about this Wikipedia page? I'm, I'm, I don't think I did. Actually. No, that, t- totally news to me. And it's always one of those funny ones when it's just like a bare Wikipedia page on Hacker News. So I also piqued my interest. Right, which I actually like. I, I mean, I think because, you, you know, it's like, okay, this thing is so interesting that we're just going to drop it as a noun. Like, there's no headline. This is just a thing. And <laughs> That's right. This, this fact that is unknown needs to be known. Yes, excellent. And so this is the, the, the uh, ST3000DM001. Um, this is what, what we knew is the 7200.2. We actually never – we used the successor to this drive, the 7200.11, um, which uh, codename Moose uh, was an absolute disaster for us, and I definitely want to tell our stories. I want, I'm hoping other people will tell their stories as well. So if you've, if you've had stories with this very, very bad class of drives – because, Adam, the one thing I learned – so they, I mean, among other things – First of all, this is a drive that has a class action suit section in the Wikipedia page entry. How great is that? <laughs> I mean, you got to be a unique or, or very small number. <laughs> interesting to know the stats on that. <laughs> interesting to know the stats. And I feel like it's, it should be every company and product's aspiration to avoid the class action section of the – just to have a Wikipedia page entry that doesn't have a class action section. The, did you go through some of the firmware bugs that this thing had? I don't know. If- uh, yeah, I, I looked into some of them, yeah. We did not see the worst ones, is what I can't believe. I mean, so the and I, I, Adam, actually, do you want to give the, uh, the, the because I, I do feel like memory it can become fuzzy here. We I think we should tell the story that we had with our drives, and then we can use that as a segue. You know, I think you lived it much more indelibly. You you should do this one. <sighs> All right, so <laughs> we were so Adam and I, along with a bunch of other folks. Uh, together at Sun back in the day building a storage product. This is in, we started in 2006, we shipped in 2008, and we had several different storage products. Um, One was based on Hitachi drives, HGST. And this is all going to get confusing because HGST and Western Digital later merged and took the name Western Digital. So I know that Rick Alther, I know, has got some WD stories that I want to get to, too. And you have to figure out if that's the WD post-HGST merger or pre-HGST merger. But we were using Seagate drives in one product and HGST drives in another product. And the, uh, I mean, Adam, you obviously remember the firmware rev. Uh, you know what? I'm embarrassed that I don't have that off the top. Are you serious? I I, How I, many I, years I, the I, therapy worked? Like you, you? I know, I know. I know that you still have the tattoo. I and, can't uh, forget you, it. I like so SU0D is the is the, the the drive firmware rev that that so this thing damn near ruined our lives. So what would happen? And this happened happened with a couple of customers. They'd buy our product, and it would be great. And they're like, oh, this is great, and it seems great. And so they put more and more load on it, and then sadness would start. And there'd be like a first like raindrop, and then it would be like four more raindrops, and then it was all fucking hailstones as the product just like came to its knees. And in particular, what would happen is the, we started seeing these outliers, latency outliers, it's like 560 millisecond latency outliers, which is like, it's spinning media, these are 7200 RPM drives, but like, that's a long ass time. That's fucking half a second. 
And what you would see is like one drive would start seeing them and then another drive would start seeing them and then three more drives would start seeing them. And do you remember MIT Broad was a customer, Adam? Did you ever deal with them? Yes. Yes. I remember the Broad. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I mean, the admin from MIT Broad was crying on the phone with me. Like he and I were both crying. Like this is clear like this, like I, but, but, but he was like actually crying and he had been crying maybe a bit strong, but I don't think it was too strong. He said in a way that barely had control of his emotions. And again, I did not have control of my own emotions. So this is all very reasonable. It's a reflection on, on, on Seagate, not on him. He's like, I just want the system to be back to what it was. And I'm like, that's what we all want. We all want that. And what was, what was happening, we were getting a huge runaround from Seagate and they were being very cagey. And what we understood to be happening, but I would love, if anyone has got kind of supporting detail about this, I would love it because the firmware is all proprietary and it's very hard to reason about. But according to, to what we received from them, there was a firmware bug whereby the head would be misprogrammed due to a polarity error. And instead of being programmed to decelerate at high LBAs, it would be programmed to accelerate at high LBAs, which would destroy the drive if it allowed to do that. So the drive would actually reset itself. And what we were seeing, those 560 millisecond outliers, was the time it took for the drive to reset itself. And and, and, uh, yeah. and uh, Brent, you know, I, I, sometimes I, I I feel like some of this was like in a dream. So I'm not sure if I remember this correctly, but the one of the reasons we tried to see this pathology in our lab. And as I recall, one of the reasons we didn't see this was that in well climate controlled labs, uh, you would encounter this problem because it, it had to do with the ambient temperature, whereas our lab at Fishworks averaged around uh, like 95 to 105 degrees, as I recall. And so in this like super baking hot lab, uh, we like wouldn't encounter this pathology. We now, were less like a sit. I don't know. Is that, a, 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 I mean, I definitely, I'm not sure if I ever knew that detail, if that were the case. I, I mean, honestly, we were so, what we knew from Seagate is that upgrading from SU0D to SU0E was going to solve this problem. And it did. And, at that point, I think I was just that at that point, the desire to understand this problem ended and the desire to forget it uh, began. And, and now was this also the one that would cause the G list to 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 grow incorrectly? Or was that am I conflating firmware bugs? That was so this is where when I was going through all the firmware bugs on the, on this piece of garbage, this is where I realized like, man, there were a lot. I mean, of course, of course, there mm-hmm. were a lot of firmware bugs in this thing. And so, no, that I think is a second disjoint firmware bug i believe <laughs> okay okay but because i remember we, we would see problems like this where these drives would uh incorrectly report sectors as bad and then the g list would grow and grow and incur nasty performance pathologies and then all of a sudden start uh reporting the smart uh you know predict fail and we'd get these drives back in hordes well and the um the right I, and there were apparently also firmware bugs where i mean again like so if you go to the wikipedia page on seagate barracuda not on the skew i mentioned but the the seagate barracuda on both the both the the 7200.10 and 7200.11 entries have got extensive firmware bug descriptions and I feel that you I mean you should take a look at that, Adam, because it, it, like that. Um, apparently, there was a bug, by the way, where this thing could forget where its effectively metadata was on the spindle, 
and the drive would just never boot again. Wow. It's all right. So with that, those are our stories. We upgraded this thing from SC0D to SC0E. Those problems went away. There are a bunch of other problems that we had. Um, and then I, it, the, the, before I kind of throw it over to others for their, for their stories, the other thing I would add is Seagate themselves were a giant customer of ours. Do you remember this, Adam? Yes, yes. And they were dicks as customers, which is fine. Like when people are dicks as customers, it's like, all right, that's, I get it. Like you want it to work. Yeah, right? we, like, we want it to work. You want it to work. We all want it to work. You feel so strongly that we should record that. Yes. Yeah, but no, I do feel that like when a customer is like really like abusing you because the thing doesn't work, a part of you has to be like, you're abusing me because you want this to work and I want this to work too. And this might not be the way I would conduct myself, but I have to forgive you for it. Right? I mean, I... There's a lot of empathy there, but that's great. Yeah. That year was a tough fucking year. So we had uh, a bunch of different firmware problems. And so you recall we had the, uh, the SSRD problems, very acute. We had, uh, and I can't believe you, if you've forgotten, uh, the, the, uh, the expander, SAS expanders had the 3R20 problem. The, the, yes. w- w- the, do you remember what we called that one? That was the blue mm-hmm. special. Oh, yeah. The, this is where the, the lanes would like go out to lunch, right? Like mm, That one, there was that one too. <laughs> oh, In this gosh. one, the service light would come on. But there was no other problem. <laughs> right. This is why we call this a blue light special. So the service right. light would come on, and then all of humanity would spend its precious resources trying to figure out what was wrong with the system. As it turns out, what was wrong with the system was that the service light was on. I mean, it was very, it was very like meta in some ways. So what you actually needed to do is reseed it. If you reseeded it, the service light would go out, and then everything would be fine. That's right. And then we upgraded to 3R22 to get out of that one. That was on the SAS expander. But then we had the the LSI. The the LSI HBA, that's what I was thinking. Right, the HBA, the FILOC problem. Yeah, FILOC, right. Where the... One where a five would lock up and then be like, I'm just done. Like I've locked like nothing. And, you can ever talk to me again. And you had and you had four of them. You had four of them. And 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 like one would go and you'd lose twenty five percent of your bandwidth. Right. And then two would go and you'd be halfway. And then right. you know, sooner or later they'd all they'd all be gone. Right. And, and there's then no it, recovery. That's right. And it turns out losing that last five is particularly painful. As if it, this yeah. is the you, I mean Adam, we've talked about the title of your forthcoming best selling book uh, from one to zero. Uh, <laughs> That's right. This is, I feel this is another chapter of from one to zero because That's right. from one to zero for the um, for those who don't know, uh, Adam is not necessarily a fan. I think it's fair to say. Uh, yeah, it's fair. We can record that. Yeah, of 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 zero to one. Peter Thiel's uh, like how to book on on uh, cult, cargo cultism. <laughs> and and uh. <laughs> <laughs> I like that Josh unmutes himself for the laughter. <laughs> I was going to make a comment, but I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. And didn't, am I making up the fact that you like interviewed with Peter Thiel or something? No, no. You're, that, that part you're making up. But Peter Thiel in his book, and now we're wandering far afield, but we, Peter Thiel says the way he interviews people is by asking something that they believe that other people don't generally believe, which I think would be an entertaining interview question. But I'm not sure any of the results like would correlate with them doing a good job. It is a weird signal. I got it. It's weird signal, right? And and uh, and uh, and so I thought that was a terrible interview question. And someone asked me that as, as an interview question, and I said, "Well, I, you know, I th- a lot of people think Zero to One is a good book, and and I don't think it's a very good book at all. And that was not <laughs> the right interview answer to that interview. <laughs> that is awesome. That's uh, even- how, how, how long had you been sitting on that one? Uh, actually, like I, I never thought it would come up. 
Um, but then, okay. because I'm a, because I'm a good New Englander, I tried to pull up from that nosedive uh, that that I'd put us in, and I said, "Oh well, what's your answer to that question?" And the person with whom I was interviewing said, "Uh huh, I've never thought about it." And, at which point, <laughs> at which point, obviously, I should have left, but I, I stayed. Okay, so I've got a lot of follow up questions. One: Have you ever used the phrase "good New Englander" in conversation? Like, you've been using that for years, and I've just missed it. I've never heard you say "good New Englander." I mean, I mean, like, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, don't like we don't hug. We're not a hugging people. You know, there, there are a lot of characteristics of, of New Englanders. I don't, Listen, I, the guys, the guy's a Red Sox fan. All right. That's all you need to know. Yeah. 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 It is. It is. In fact, the guy is such a Red Sox fan. And I know we're getting far on the field. We're going to get back to see again. I promise. He's such a Red Sox fan that Adam and I were together for his for an historic oh. game. Oh, great, beautiful, delicious okay. game. Sean Mania's no hitter against the Red Sox. No, Dan escorted oh. us in. No oh. hitter against no, this is dude, this is speaks to what a Red Sox fan you are. We are you had never seen a no hitter in person. Yeah. Um, this is the first no hitter you've ever seen in person. It is it, there we are in the ninth inning and there are two outs. Yeah. And I asked you, does any part of you want to see a no-hitter, and you're like, no part of me. I want to see a base no, hit right no. now. I, I, I remember the ball doesn't hit the wicket. That's, 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 that's right. when the ball doesn't hit the wicket. And, and when right. the, Adam wanted the wicket keeper to, to score that's a right. try. And, 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 I mean, and you were so excited <laughs> that your hand, you, you couldn't videotape because your hand was shaking. And I remember Hanley Ramirez was the last at bat, and I, I said, knock it out of the park, Hanley. And you turned to me and explained that I was a terrible person. It, I, I felt like no explanation was really needed in that situation. I mean, <laughs> that's, that, that's like obvious, it's self-evident that we are in Oakland watching a no-hitter. All right, sorry. Anyway, anyway, we, do, we, we digress. And, and, and they completed the no-hitter, but yes. Back to Seagate as a customer, though. <laughs> Popping the stack off. So Seagate is a customer, and they are this thing is not working for them, and they are furious, and they're like, like furious. They're furious, and like they've been kind of tough to deal with, tough customer. So, and I am thinking... Please, God, let them be seeing the SU0D problem. Please, please. I would, because this is a different division of Seagate. And I would so love to explain to them that the problem that they are so upset about is their own company's problem. I'm like, but of course, that, that was not to be. And the, they were saying Philoc. So it's like, oh, come on. <laughs> Can't, I, That's right. I've only, I've only wished the SU0D pathologies on one customer in that picture. Yeah, if, if only LSI had been seeing the Seagate problem, LSI, there was some, exactly. some, sort, some like gift of the Magi kind of. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so those were our experiences that thing. We, we did notice that like, we saw so many problems. Because there was the aspersion issue, which I think that – I wonder if that was the issue you were referring to in terms of temp. Maybe the, the, the LBA issue was temp related as well. I, I, thought, I thought the LBA was – I thought that the Seagate issue was related to temperature because that's what was – the firmware was making a decision about the fly height in part hmm. based on the a- a- ambient temperature. That would make sense. Anyway. Yeah, no, no, that would make sense. I just don't think I ever um, got that detail. And, and again, I, I think part, yeah, again, I don't remember how hot our lab was at Fishworks. Um, one, of my, one of my big interviewing mistakes is I had some interns come in to make some Ethernet cables and I parked them in the lab, not realizing it. It was 110 <laughs> degrees in the lab that day. And the fact that oh. any of them, they were, their, their fingers were sweating and it, it, was, it was the worst interview, most abusive interview I've ever given I, by accident. And it should be uh, said yeah, that, that the, the, these were high schoolers. Who? Yeah. These. I mean, yeah. these were these were children. This is child abuse. I mean, these were children. This is child. <laughs> Doesn't this violate some sort of child labor law? Oh, life? absolutely. <laughs> without question. Without question. <sighs> oh, <God. laughs> 
it was like seven years ago or whatever, so not the trouble, right? I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's there you that's go. Right. Sorry, Oscar, It'll be seven it, years ago. Oscar, if you're listening now, like, lawyer up, kid. It's not too late. It's, you, you know, you may be in your mid-30s, but you can... That's right. I'm, 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 I'm like uh, LinkedIn buddies with those guys still, so... I, they, they were Built great. character. It definitely... They, they were... I, I, actually, I really liked both of those two. They, they endured a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um... All right, so I would like to hear because I know other people have experiences with this. Seek. Actually, not only do I, well, I should say I now know. I mean, I think it's like watching that hacker news. Did you read any of those comments on there? Yeah, crazy. But it also felt like it felt very vindicating. And and hold on, I'm trying to get. Oh, Bill, yeah, there you are. Bill, you, you just asked to be a speaker. Are you? Do you have some? Yes, uh, I. Worked in the federal space, dealing with that particular variant of Seagate Drive. I had a lab with 50 HP Z620 workstations that we had fully pimped out with 192 gigs of RAM, which was sweet. We had the OS on a solid-state drive, but for bulk storage of local data, we had two two of those Seagate drives in each machine in RAID 1. Uh-oh. And that was the longest, uh, you, know, you know, they can't all possibly, uh, you know, we can't lose a third of them in a 24-hour period, can we? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, well, yeah, but it was all local transient storage, so all the gold, all the gold reference copies of the data were stored on a tape robot, which has its own set of problems, which... Yeah, but yeah, no, that's my single longest shift as a government employee. Uh, uh, over two days, it was 15 and a half hours each day, me and one other person. And were you trying to reconstruct? I mean, it, it, it was, first of all, which pathology were you seeing that one of these firmware pathologies? What, what, what were you seeing? Uh, we weren't down, that far down the rabbit hole. We were just seeing, we went from, oh, that's weird. Why is it taking so long to access a drive that's in the kit? Why is this? Why is it lying about block status? What it? Uh, I mean, I didn't really have an adjective to describe it until somebody introduced me to James Mickens. So, <laughs> myself like and yeah. myself and the lieutenant colonel who were swapping drives out for uh, w- Western Digitals, we referred to it as the Mackenzian dystopia. So, but yeah, that was, that was fun. It was, and then the tape robot started having problems the the following month, but I don't work there anymore. It's all better now. You have a Lieutenant Colonel swapping out hard drives. You've got some real serious problems. (laughs) (laughs) Things things have not gone according to plan. If Lieutenant Colonel's in there swapping drives, I think, is that fair to say, Dan? Oh, oh, yeah. 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 if that had happened in the Marine Corps, like it would have been, I mean, that's the apocalypse right there. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. All right, now, Rick. I, Moose was slightly before I ran Google's hard drive team. So uh, I, I only heard about the after effects of it, but it definitely was one of those uh, things where we learned a lot about how hard drive vendors manage their firmware development. Um specifically things like they don't use source control yeah 
this is where like is there a WTF emoji that I can like launch? I mean, this is just amazing to me that. And so, Rick, how yeah, did you have insight? Because I feel like we never got that insight, even though we were a huge customer of Seagate. Like, we did not have the throwaway to get that kind of insight. Well, you weren't that big of a customer. Yeah, fair enough. Right, exactly. There you go. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they kept telling us. So. Uh, when you're a big enough customer for hard drive vendors where you're, you're ordering directly from them in sufficient volume, you also get to start making your own firmware changes. And so you end up with your own firmware builds, um, which is its own complete set of disasters because the mainline firmware that ships to the the commercial boxed units or even to the OEMs for in a system integration, uh, the bug fixes that go into that train, someone has to manually put them into your train. That doesn't sound error prone at all. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there, there were many issues. Um, that's how we figured out how to deploy hard drive firmware at scale. Uh, and yeah, the, the Western Digital Sparta was the one that I spent a lot more time on. Um, so that was a two terabyte from Western Digital. And that drive, um, the, the short version of the story is they had copied a previous drive uh, design specs. They changed the fly height to be closer because they needed to to increase the, the aerial density. They did not realize that the error on the flight height was expressed as a percentage, and they did not change the percentage when they reduced the fly oh, height. No. So the drive was built so that the height, the fly height, would never be able to be within a safe margin, um, and it was basically during writes impacting imperfections on the disk. So it was a very early case where, you know, the, the number of hours of consecutive writes or the numbers of uh, amount of data written was a good indicator of how quickly the drive was going to die. So that's when I got to see things like uh, uh, scanning electron microscope images of drive heads where they had a crater in the front of them. Um, and yeah, figuring out, is it even possible to fix this with the firmware bug? And how do you run a screen because now you actually have to deploy firmware to these drives that let you run a test that you can do to figure out how many drives are even affected. And, and at Google scale, that, that's all of quite a big challenge. Wow. Hey, Rick, when you're making custom firmware updates in your you know, mega warehouse of disks, what kinds of functionality are you, are you sneaking in there? Yeah, oftentimes, people are just asking for pretty basic things like adjusting the number of read retries because you may not want the drive to be trying really hard if you're running a cluster file system that has replicas elsewhere. You actually want it to stop early. Yeah, fail fast. Yeah, for sure. Makes sense. Um, there's other tweaks to like, you know, scheduling behaviors. Do you want background scrubbing to how intensive do you want that to be? You know, fairly benign things, um, but it's enough that if they change, tweak those things, you end up with your own fork of the firmware and then good, you know, you have to stay on top of what's happening happening everywhere to make sure that your firmware builds get appropriate fixes. Right, gotcha. And is this, so WD's Sparta, is this, is this an HGST drive or is this a WD drive? Yeah, this is pre-merger. Right, okay, so this is on the WD side, not the HGST side. In fact, the merger, I think, happened not too soon after they had finished all of the Sparta mop-up. Yeah, interesting. Because I, I was with a, I mean, it is amazing 
the fly height on the you talk about the you know the fly height is so important to these things in terms of reliability and performance and so on. And I know that I've said this before, but I just kind of found this number mind bending when the we were with the VP of quality for HGST. And he was asking us a bunch of questions around temp because apparently temp really affects fly height. And, or rather, uh, temp affects the performance of the drives. And we were talking about fly height. Um, and the, uh, Adam, do you know what the, the, we talked about the fly height uh, during a write for a drive? Oh, I, all, all I know is I need to take my best guess and then like divide it by a factor of a thousand. Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, my guess was going to be, I think like the tip, I, a reasonable guess on this, I think would have been my guess, would have been like, I don't know, like, uh, like a micron seems small, like said a micron, and it is uh, the fly height during a write is 0.8 nanometers. And I fell out of my chair, and I said, "Do you mean 800 picometers?" And he's like, "Yeah, I guess I do. I never really thought about it that way, but yeah, 800 picometers. Yeah, that is what it is. It's 800 picometers." It's like, okay, if I had to deal in picometers, like I would make, I would inflict picometers on everybody. I would be using picometers <laughs> all the time. Um, and I saw that Rick, those spaces may have dropped, dropped Rick. Um, but uh, the, yeah, that is, that is wild. Yeah, it's astounding, yeah. Um, and just in terms of how sophisticated these things are mechanically, I mean, it's easy to bag on them. Although, I, although that said, I feel like I spent too long apologizing for Seagate's firmware because of the the endemic difficulty of the problem. And then you learn you think that they're not using source code control and all this other stuff. You're like, okay, now this feels a lot less sympathetic. This is a hard problem, but right, You're, you don't need to create additional uh, obstacles here. You don't, and I mean, I think that this is where I feel. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel that that kind of whole experience and not just SE0D, the Seagate experience, but the Seagate experience, the LSI experience, the the SAS expander, the quanta experience, um, the I mean effectively every piece of firmware on that box really failed us. I feel it really radicalized me with respect to the need for open source firmware. Because I do feel that like a lot of these problems would be at least making them visible to us would have made a big difference. Absolutely. Being able to go through, I mean, just we, we've all seen this in other you know fields of software where, where you're asking yourself, am I crazy? Right. Like and, and then to be able to to actually correlate the phenomena you're seeing with the software that as you can understand it is is so important, especially in these production environments. Well, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm totally with you. Well, no, you're asking yourself, like, am I crazy? By the way, the vendor is like helping you out with their hypothesis, namely like we, you're crazy. Like, <laughs> it's like, right. oh, okay. Right. Well, if I, right. thank it's you. everybody except us. Are you kidding me? Right. right. The, like, we're not, I mean, and like, no one else is seeing that problem is something that I, I mean, how often have you heard that from a vendor? Like, we, or we've never heard of anyone else having this problem. We've, you're the only one who's seeing this. That's it. That, I mean, it feels like language from a lawyer. I, I, I think, like, I think Dell have put that as a low-numbered item in one of their support scripts. Oh, I I, like the, the, the support technician is just supposed to read that line out, regardless <laughs> of whether it's true. Right, that person's not even a Dell employee. That's just off a script from some generic call center. Exactly. It's right under, right. dude, you're getting a Dell. We've never heard of that problem before. You're just like, oh, well. Yeah, no, no, no customer other than you is experiencing this problem. It's like, really? Okay, but it, look, it looks to me like the website's broken. But... Now, reboot the computer and update the BIOS. <laughs> and get back to me. Tom, I saw you unmuting yourself. Oh, you did? Did am I on? You are. Amazing. I'm I'm on a Twitter beta app, and it's a little flaky. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I was going to say about the custom firmware that Dell and HP do. You know, back, back in the day, there were actually reasons for it. But now the main thing is to put their names in the vendor field so that their RAID software can check that you're actually using their own drives. Oh, oh that's great value. I mean, it's, for which, it's, for which it's they just, charge a lot more. It's just rent-seeking. Sun did this too. Yep, yep. It, we we such we tried behavior. to buy we tried to buy a JBOD from Sun once, and they were like, "Well, you got to buy a disc in all twenty four slots." I'm like, "Well, but we've got lots of discs." Oh no, you don't. Can we? <laughs> and <laughs> not yet, you don't. And uh, yeah, it was just like, "Well, we're not going to sell you the sleds. How about that?" I'm like, but the sleds are a small piece of plastic. Can we have the sleds, please? <laughs> like, no, yes. one million dollars each. The sleds are the cost of a drive plus ten percent because you're annoying. Like. <laughs> Like, so, yeah. so there, there's the opposite extreme of that, though. Uh, we dealt with JBODs a lot at, at drive scale, but WD was selling these populated JBODs that were so cheap that people would buy the JBODs, take the drives out, resell the drives, and then sell the empty JBOD on eBay <laughs> for, for like 500 bucks. Yeah, yeah that's basically, yeah, that's we, pretty had amazing. A, we had a galactic pile of 250 gig spindles that no one was ever going to use, basically, because in the end, that was just easier than... Because we could replace them with two terabyte spindles <laughs> at, at, at a huge, a huge decrease in price. And, and, Tom, when you were at DriveScale, you got, you were obviously dealing with a bunch of different kinds of storage, so you must have seen all manner of drive firmware problems. Yeah, one one, one of my favorites with Seagate was that just just to query the smart status, you know, tell me tell me a few counters. It, it was a two hundred millisecond overhead. No, nothing nothing else would happen on the drive. And this is like, you're like, what is going on for 200 milliseconds? What are you doing? How many head seeks is it to ask your smart status? Yeah, it's like, what, what could they possibly be doing? Fizzy dumping core. Or, yeah, or maybe like, or rebooting. I mean, you just like not being able to kind of see into what's actually going on. And I think like smart is another good example where, I mean, smart for those, for, what does the even acronym stand for? It's, it's, sadly, it's an, it's, it's an acronym. Um, but this is for the giving you drive health statistics that are infamously always zero because the vendor doesn't want the drive to come back. So of course, like the vendor's like, no, no, no. if I'm telling you I'm gonna sick, I'm a sick, I'm gonna do it on a hidden mode page. I'm not actually gonna do it in the smart data. Yeah. Tom, I don't know. Right, I've got it. I've got it up, Brian. Do you want to guess what smart stands for? Does the S stand for smart? It, first of all, it, it's no, gotta be. It's gotta question. be simple, something, right? So it's self monitoring. Oh, self monitoring. Self-monitoring and <laughs> analysis and reporting technology. 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 Yeah, yeah, that's no. It's right there. Bad. Yeah, <laughs> it's bad. It's it's all bad. It's like one. I think like, and I say this as the company that worked for it. We had a product called like Smart Everything. I think Smart is a terrible name. I didn't name those products. I think Smart is Smart just sounds smarmy. Like don't don't call yourself smart. You're just inviting disaster. I think you're just about your disaster by calling yourself smart. Exactly. Don't call yourself smart. And that... I, I, I like the products that call themselves dumb. And, and the, the ADM3A, they, they actually marketed it as a dumb terminal. It was awesome. There you go. That's right. Well, that's it. You know, that it's, we call that simple, where I'm coming from. I like it. Yeah. Simple is good. We like simple. Uh, simple is definitely good. Uh, the when I did, you know, Rick made an interesting point. Unfortunately, before, before I'm going to assume the Twitter spaces ran out of memory and dropped him, but the uh, made an interesting point, and I think Adam, this is true for us as well. 
that the one upside of having terrible dry firmware is it really requires you to get the firmware upgrade story right. And oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which we definitely did. I mean, we, we did spend a lot of time and energy allowing you to upgrade your disk firmware and getting that all correct. And that can all happen, fortunately, without actually, uh, I mean, it, it has, it can happen while the machine is up, which is, which is gratifying. Yeah. And, and Brian, uh, with regard, I'm, I'm getting like more firmware, like horror story flashbacks and, and call, tell me if this is like, just, I've talked myself into this, if this is an embedded memory or a real one, but like with the LSI Phylock problem, do I recall correctly that it was insufficient to like reboot the box because that that because that yes. HDA actually right. stayed powered? That's right. So the 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 per support procedure for that was put down the phone, walk over to the system, yank out the power cables, and put them back in. Am I am I making no, that? No, I don't think you're making that up. Okay. Yeah, no, you're no, you're not making that. Yeah, because because but make sure you wait thirty seconds for the capacitors to drain. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. Count to thirty, right? And 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 par part of the problem was that an oversight of that system was that uh, that like the the LOM couldn't actually do a full power reset of all those components. Yeah, and speaking of the LOM, we were not spared the 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 the, the most cruelly ironic firmware bug that we actually had on that system. I felt was an actual Sun firmware bug, right. where the the service processor was a Java program, of course, because what, what else would you write a service processor in? Like, let's make sure we're writing it in. Just, just check your stock ticker and write it in that. Oh, stop. Oh, that's so <laughs> cutting. God, that's so cutting. Oh, man. That's, no, no, just sad. All right, yeah, so fine. Yeah, check your stock ticker. Write it in whatever application is reflected, in the, whatever language is reflected in the stock ticker, in this case, Java. And which is again also like fine perhaps, but this thing would do what many Java programs would do is it would actually uh, grow without bounds and get to the point where GC is running all the time and not finding any garbage because the heap has effectively grown without bounds. And then it would uh, somewhat amusingly, it w the service processor <laughs> would. In this, by the now, like allocations are failing, and it now doesn't know about itself from the CLI. So you would say, "I want to reset slash uh, what reset slash sys slash sp, right?" Something like that. I'm trying to remember right, exactly. Right, right. right, and it would tell you like no such object sp. And it's like you are the sp, and we're, we're having. Who do you think I'm talking to? Like right. we're having a very metaphor, like a very metaphysical kind of a solipsistic conversation here. But like, do you not exist? Do I not exist? Is any is all? Are we in the simulation? Is none of this real? Yeah, are we all filled with existential dread? Um, which is that? That was very so. That was very frustrating. But when that would happen, we would now neglect to control the fans properly. And the fans well, would, well, yeah. Well, the other way around, the fans would say, "What the fuck happened to the SP?" Right. Like, like you know, full full power to the torpedoes. Full power to the torpedoes, which it feels like a sensical, like that feels like a fail-safe kind of thing, is to run the fans full speed. It's like, well, it might be if we didn't have these little Hitachi Bronco Ks in there that were very vibe sensitive, and a chassis that was maybe not really, maybe had some vibe issues. That's right. And, and I, I don't remember this part, but we, we had chosen the processor on these systems to be a little, a little cooler and then capped the fan speed at like 80%, knowing that that was safe. 
<clears throat> but but this fail-safe mechanism blew through that 80% cap to, to go at full 100%. Full 100%, and then the drives themselves started getting ridiculous IO latency outliers. So then you, you start saying like thousands of milliseconds because it's getting what are called non-repeated runouts, which where the, the, the head is, the whole chassis is vibing itself to death. So the head is having a very hard time tracking and is constantly having, and, you know, Rick made this interesting point too about just changing the number of retries on a drive where mm -hmm. the drive has no other way of telling you like I am in tremendous pain and there are many problems here and I need attention. So it, it, all it has really is read and write and tell me how you're feeling. And like, by the way, I can never tell you that I'm feeling sick because otherwise you'll replace me. So I don't want that. So <laughs> I need to like, I'm always like, by the way, I'm feeling great. And uh, the, on the reads and writes, it's like, I'm just going to keep trying. Like, I, what else am I going to do? It's like, well, fuck, you could like, I don't know. Like, the, like the data's here somewhere. The data's okay, here I'll, somewhere. I'll, ha I'll have it for you in two weeks. Like, I swear. <laughs> totally, I totally, totally, totally. It's like someone who's made like a cascade of bad life choices. And like, it's all coming due. Like the debt's all coming due. Like you're not, <laughs> no, it's like, you're now, I'm, I, I paid off the, the visa with the MasterCard bill. And I got, a, I got a payday loan for the MasterCard. And now it's like, now they're repoing everything. It's just like the whole thing's coming undue. Like the ads. Re retry forever failure is also one way in which they've created artificial differentiation between consumer and Elon drives. Oh, like true. consumer drives will retry forever, basically, which is not terribly good for a rate array that could say, well, I'm like, you know, just fail and I'll, I'll figure it out. Right. Oh, that's you, so you know. wrong. So that they, they can charge, you know, 80 extra bucks a drive or, or, or 150 or something for, for slightly better. Oh, you want behavior. me to break out of that loop? That's good. I mean, I can do it, but it's going to cost you. I mean, it's not free. It's gonna, it's gonna cost it's you. It's not free for me to do less work. You're like, I, what, what's going on? Right. Why are you? Yeah, that's brutal. This is in line with other uh, products where the consumer product is cheap and full of features, and the professional product just does one thing well, or does one thing anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. And certainly after I came out of that, I don't know, Adam, if you ended up. So we, uh, after Sun, you went to Delphix. We were joint. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, when I went out of Sun, I mean, the lesson I learned from that which was different than the lesson you learned. The lesson I learned was stay the hell away from hardware. I mean, obviously, I've, I've unlearned that fast. Right. There you go. You've forgotten that, that lesson. Right. We're trying to remind that's you that why, lesson. That's why I coasted into, like, virtual, virtual. <laughs> So you well, that's this is not an uncommon lesson that people learn when dealing with hardware. Is like I never want to deal with hardware again. Like this is actually hardware is hard. I mean, it's painful. It's it's awful when these things. Um, well, well, and I think in particular at the time, you know, people were asking why did we not do Fishworks as a startup, and I and I think our analysis, at least the that I recall it, was accurate, which was it was hard enough for us, Sun, to get the attention of all of these component vendors. To, to please fix these, these uh, what would have been business-ending bugs. And for like an insignificant startup to get that kind of attention would have been untenable. And I think the, the world has changed a lot since then. Yeah, I know. I think you're right. And I think that the, I think also in a world of all closed, all closed firmware, all proprietary firmware, it is actually, I mean, this is part of why we need an open firmware ecosystem is to allow for more innovation and, and more companies to be able to do things more cheaply because we you could not you're exactly right that like we could not have done it simply because we could not have gotten the attention that we needed i mean hell at oxide it's hard to get the attention that we I mean, we're very good at making a racket but it is hard to get what what 
you know, we've got, and we've got very little proprietary firmware in the stack, but as Laura can attest, like the proprietary firmware we do have is making its proprietariness well known, unfortunately. So I'm curious with this group of people who've been tortured by hard drives and have tortured them in return, what do you actually want from the hard drive API? Like, do you want to be able to say on every request, hey, give me a fast read or give me a reliable read or give me a really absolutely try as hard as you can to give me a read read? So I... Like, it feels weird to change the firmware on the drive rather than having a different kind of request for that request. So in all honesty, and I know this is just very on brand for me to say this, I actually want an open ecosystem. I, I, I want, I don't think one size fits all. And I think that different people may want different behavior and we should have, just as we are able to programmatically change our behavior elsewhere in the stack, we should be able to programmatically change our behavior with respect to drive firmware. So. Software defined hard drive. We, well, the thing is we already have a software defined hard drive. It is just that it's a proprietary defined hard drive right now. And so we. It, it, it all, there's a major philosophical thing too, which it all comes from the school of thought that nothing is ever going to fail except, except in very rare situations, as opposed to the networking point of view. It's like, you're lucky if anything works. And, and you, if you architect the whole stack to be you know, feel Tom, lucky, then I, things work a lot better. Tom, it's, it's interesting you say that. And, and, and uh, I think the Apple uh, WDC conference was today. And, and I, I bring that up because like in 2016 or something, they were rolling out their APFS, their new file system from scratch. And I went and talked to some of those folks. And to your point, Tom, th they actually claimed that they did not see bit errors, that, that bit rot was a... <laughs> Was like uh, wow. like the product of of of, of, of mass hysteria, yeah. and uh, to which I said, well, in, with HSFS, you're you know the file system you've been monitoring for years, you just wouldn't know because you just have things change and you'd have no way of identifying that. Uh, and and well, well, it makes perfect sense from a company that only sells consumer stuff but no parity on memory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fair enough. Yeah, we don't see any memory errors. By the way, we've got no capacity to see memory errors. We have no, like, we actually have no nerve endings there. Like, we I, we can't feel a thing. Like, why? what's the problem? It's like, am I, is this a Dell support call that I'm logging right now? Like, what's going on? <laughs> right, you're the only one seeing this problem. You're the only seeing this problem. It's like, okay, uh, sorry, I was asking for, like, your company address. You're the only one asking <laughs> that right. question. We've never heard that question before. We've never... <laughs> That's right. Uh, um, yeah, that's. I mean, that, that, so that's interesting with the the kind of the APFS analog, and just in terms of like the and Tom, that's a very good point too about this kind of the storage thinking versus networking thinking. Because I feel we saw this too. I feel we were helping to perpetuate this, Adam. I feel like we because we were captainiers in two thousand six. I feel like we had we were trying to sell highly available highly reliable storage by pretending that a partition couldn't possibly happen uh yeah yeah and i, yeah. I don't know the degree to which we were pretending with well knowing and or pretending well not knowing right you can't just go around declaring that the network is the computer <laughs> that's right <laughs> not unless you cloud flare i yeah and i think that the uh, uh, so i think part of the problem is that it, it, just as tom said that the the, there's been this, uh, the way you deal with failure, because the other problem I think is that like if a if a packet is dropped, the NIC does not get returned. 
So it is, it, it, there's, there's obviously so much that can fail in the network that that's not necessarily on the component. I think that the drive feels that like, if I report an error, like I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna be returned. It's like, well, yes, probably, but you still need to report the error. It doesn't mean that you're... <laughs> well, and then the, the whole ecosystem. So if, 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 if there's a link error talking to the drive and it gets recorded, everyone goes completely batshit insane all the way up to the application. You know, as opposed to saying, oh, there was a glitch, let's try again. But, right. That's right. I mean, and, I, and also, I mean, I think that there is a degree to which, like, it is actual, you know, it's persistent. So if you do have these failure modes, like this crazy firmware failure mode that we didn't see where the drive would lose its metadata and then never be able to boot again, um, yeah. the, you do have these pathologies that are arguably much more acute. Um but still, it's like, oh, man, we can do better than this, though. So, Aaron, I don't know. Is, how, do, how is that as an answer to your question? Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, I think it, well, and it sounds good to a lot of people. I mean, I think that, you know, we've obviously got a bunch of kind of core beliefs at, at, at Oxide, but open firmware is, is, is a pretty deeply held one. Yeah, and I, I wonder how, you know, behind a lot of the, the firmware that we're talking about here is this real complex engineering and science and physics and, uh, and that, that, while complex, is often tending towards commoditization. So, uh, you know, one of the questions I have is how we break this idea that firmware is the path to, uh, to greater revenue and margin and uh, differentiation. And, well, and also, and, and, yeah, this is a good point, Adam. And, like, the, the, that firmware is your path to, for, to preservation of that innovation. That's right. And it is like super tragic, especially when you get into the physics of these drives, which are the, and, and we are not using rotating media at Oxide, not yet anyway, not in our first product. Um, we, I presume we will at some point, um, just because the density advantages are so great. But the, I, I, do you think about a hammer versus hammer, Adam? Have you, have you ramped up on any of this stuff? Or have you been, uh, uh, no, uh, no, yeah, right. You've been no. doing it. So you, no, you would love this stuff. So, uh, Hammer is heat-assisted assi magnetic recording. Mammer is microwave-assisted uh, magnetic recording. And they are effectively... So with Hammer, you are superheating for periods of femtoseconds, <laughs> literally, um, in extremely small area, so you can uh, write higher-density bits. Um, and it's, like, crazy interesting. And you're like, wow, how is the physics this, like off the charts nuts and then you're like not using source code control for your firmware i feel like <laughs> i mean it makes me feel bad as a software engineer right yeah yeah i think the trouble is the these companies don't admit that firmware is software it's just like something the hardware guys all or, or, or that it's as critical a component i mean to yeah. your point tom that that it you know this becomes the weak link in so many devices right i mean software is eating the world and <laughs> These guys are software companies, but they won't admit it. Yeah, that's a, that's interesting, actually, that you should that you say that because we definitely uh, we've got uh, one colleague in particular who is very he he is fighting the lone fight against the term firmware. It's like firmware is software. Like do not like we are. It is software. It is a soft. It is very low level software. Um, and it is like he's not wrong. It is software. Well, it, it, well and, and it's not even necessarily very low level anymore. I mean, look, look at like you, we we talk about hard drives, but look at SSDs, which are taking yeah. a totally different technology and then pretending to be hard drives out the other side. Right? Uh, masquerading is this interface that made sense for spinning media to a degree, and just really doesn't for those. So the complexity of the software in there is enormous. And high, 
And hybrid hybrid storage devices. I mean, how many of these things are running a like a badly patched copy of the Linux kernel? <laughs> right. yeah, that's my question. Right? Yeah, right. Totally. Uh, right. Right. Exactly. Well, then you see you run. What's really troubling is that you run strings on these binaries that you're getting from the vendor. You're like, why is there a URL in this firmware binary? Like, What's going on exactly? <laughs> Dan, your question about like how much how much unpatched Linux kernels or what have you is are, are around here? No, it's very troubling and. and and I mean, your point about like these SSDs being these very complicated little worlds in there that have got their own, tons of their own complexity that we don't have visibility into because it's trying to pretend it's something else. It, is there any, exactly, you know, it is funny, is that there is, uh, speaking of SSDs, the only firmware that did not give us really acute pain. I feel like we did not have a Logzilla problem. Am I wrong, Adam? Yeah. No, I think that's right with with uh, S Tech, which with got acquired uh, acquired by WD or where did they get bought? No, yeah, they went to WD eventually. Yeah, but I mean the S. I mean, are you going to tell the S Tech? The S Tech story is pretty great. So I mean, yeah, go ahead, please. Well, you know that that the, the, the so we were dealing. So S Tech was a company. That, I mean. Adam was, I dare say, the first person to really look at, I mean, other people were making this observation at the same time, but Adam, you were very early on making the observation that Flash could be used in an enterprise storage product. Yeah, we, we were really at the right place at the right time there, but, but because with the advent of the iPhone, the, the, the economics on Flash changed really, really quickly. I mean, right out from under us, we're the point where the early Flash drives that we got were um, intended for use in like helicopters and high vibe environments, environments. And then a month later, the the samples we got were they had figured out like high performance uh, flash could be more economical than just shoving a bunch of DRAM in a in a battery into a three and a half inch enclosure. And we, which is what we wanted to avoid, we wanted to avoid right. the the battery in particular. We were using Flash first and foremost for non volatile store that we could write to quickly. And we found this company called Estec that was the leader of the space, really. I mean, they were the pioneer in the space. Well, you know, they they bought this company, uh, GNU Tech, to buy them way in. Estec had this whole consumer brand of like rebranded S, uh, hard drives. And rebranded memory, which later they divested. They bought this company, GNU Tech, out of England. So I don't know if you remember this, Brian. I've forgotten that. Yeah. When you say what? GNU, yeah. <laughs> well, I'd like to interject yeah. for a moment. Yeah, yeah, no. That, that but, GNU is not Linux. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't know if you remember this part, Brian, but the first samples we got of those S Tech drives, we couldn't plug in until I had gone down to the Cole Hardware to get metric screws. Because they they we they wouldn't the screws we had would not fit into the these components. Adam, you'd be happy to know that that googling GNU Tech S Tech yields your blog on. I, <laughs> I I was trying to corroborate what you were saying, but I'm like, oh, this this person seems to agree. Hey, wait a minute, it's 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 past Adam. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> but so we were, I mean, an early customer for that. So the the the. The Mark Machady, one of the these the, the, these two brothers that were running the company, the Machady brothers, and Mark was spending a lot of time with Fishworks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know that I mean, you know how you know that Mark came within a hair's width of going to jail. I do know that. I do know. I uh, I followed that with great interest. So they, as it turns out, were crooked as all get out in a in, in actually, Tom, I would love to know how classic this scam is. They were stuffing the channel. So they were a public company. They were stuffing the channel, which is where you basically are 
marking a bunch of sales that you haven't necessarily made because you filled the channel with your product. And, but as a, but so your sales will go way, way up and then they'll come way, way down because people now have your product. And they're not going to need it for a long time because they've, they've stockpiled a bunch of it effectively. And I, Adam, if memory serves, they were stopping the channel with EMC, I think. So, yeah, I think actually, I think one of the problems with, that they ran into is that uh, they had sold a bunch of the EMC, but EMC was not able to move them quickly enough. And I remember this, but, but EMC priced them just ludicrously. These parts that we were selling for five, ten, twenty thousand dollars, they were selling for like a hundred thousand dollars. And when we did the math, we determined that they were using uh, spinning disks to get a price per IOP, and then just multiplying that based on what these SSDs could do. <laughs> so they were they were ludicrously expensive. So then they they had bought a bunch of them and then weren't selling them. Uh, communicated this, and Estec was a public company at this point communicated to Estec that they weren't going to be buying anymore for a while. Estec then, uh, you know, in their, in their earnings call, their, or in their 10K or 10Q or whatever, um, you know, made no mention of this. And, uh, and then some, some insiders traded on, on that non-public information. Yes, yeah, it turns out they sold high. It turns out, like, they had some insider information. <laughs> Namely, we've stuffed the channel. So we're going to... <laughs> We're just going to like sell it all. As it turns out, like the SEC is like, this is the SEC is like, yeah, actually, you're not the first person to think of this crime. This crime is not the master <laughs> crime that you might think it is. This is actually. Right. We have a whole name for that one. We, right? we have a whole name for that one, actually. And it's like, you're going to jail. But he uh, uh, didn't, I feel like he walked on a technicality. Um, I, the. I, 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 yeah, I think they, they, I, I think they were able to clear it up somehow uh, in some like arrested development type scheme. <laughs> I don't, know, I don't know the details, but, but, but kind of pull, pulling out of this particular nosedive, to your point, yes, I don't think their firmware ever screwed with us the way that other firmware Well, this is like the irony. Is this, like, is this what we need to do to get like, correct firmware? We need to go to like crooked people? <laughs> like, can we – come on, world, don't make us go I, – I, I do have the – I mean, God bless the SEC. I do actually have the full SEC complaint featuring the Zeus IOPS, which is the product that we had that we called Lugzilla. Right. Um, very prominently, so it's all it's all a statement of fact on the record. I, I seem to remember the stack drive. I don't know if it's the same one, but it had no firmware at all. It was an actual hardware device. Which... No, you know what? They did have an FPGA on there. Okay. Um, so I don't know what I don't know how we're going to want to classify that as firmware, software, or none of the above. Okay. Um, but but I do remember that uh, that that. Uh, the FPGA was doing a lot of the work there, huh. and one of their the big piece of their milestone was was going to an ASIC version of their product. But that, I mean, again, this is ancient history. Yeah. Now. Well, it's, it's but when, that's actually really interesting, though. It's when microprocessors show up that all the trouble starts. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's right. I think that's really interesting. That like that actually the fact that it, I did not realize that Tom, but that makes sense actually. That we that you because it is. FPGAs don't tend to have the same pathologies as firmware. Um, and that is really interesting. Yeah, is, when the microcontrollers show up, uh, that's when the trouble starts. That's, that's definitely true. Um, yeah, that is, uh, that is sad. I mean, we got to do better than that, though, right? So, I mean, so what we need, so Tom, how do we, we counter that? Because I think you're right. Like, that, that, that does seem to be a problem. Obviously, I think open source is a big part of the answer. What's, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, a clear boundary between hardware and software and admitting that software is never correct. So there has to be a way to 
for it to improve rapidly. But uh, managing managing firmware like it's just another hardware component is a disaster. That is it. Yeah, managing. I think that think of you got to think of firmware. Firmware is software. It is actually not hardware. And thinking of it as a hardware component is the way you end up delivering things out of home directories and, and, and software. Having software is clearly never done. Is never correct. It can only get better, and but usually gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I thought you were going to leave us on such an optimistic note, and then got to drag us right back down. All right, well, we've been looking to keep these to about an hour. Um, I think that's as good a note to wrap up on um, as any. Thank you very much, everyone. Definitely let us know things you want to talk about, um, other feedback you might have for us. I know, Adam, I'm, I'm continuing to have fun doing this. I'm not, I, how, how you feel, Tom? Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Thanks, yeah. everyone who, who chimed in with their stories. Really appreciate yeah, it. Good fun. Awesome. And I think we're going to take uh, – I least I'm out next week. We may be taking next week off, but um, I don't know. Adam, we got to figure out our summer vac- – we'll figure out our summer vacation schedules and, and get a, a schedule for our Twitter space. But That's right. We'll keep you posted, folks. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.